Which players from the AFC North may pique the interest of the Seahawks heading into free agency next week? I'll be breaking down candidates from all four teams in our latest installment of Free Agency Friday here on Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, riding solo today, Rob Rang and Nick Lee out of town, so going to be doing this show on my own, tackling your listener questions, weekly mailbag segment, looking forward to that, and continuing our free agency roundup, looking at the AFC North, Cincinnati Bengals, Pittsburgh Steelers, Baltimore Ravens, and the Cleveland Browns, which Pending free agents from that division might pique the interest of the Seahawks. Jam-packed Blue Friday episode coming your way as always. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. It has been a tumultuous week for the Seahawks. Maybe one of the more tumultuous weeks they've had in their franchise history. Of course, when there was rumors going around the Seahawks may move to Los Angeles, that certainly may still take the cake as the toughest couple of weeks for the franchise, but in terms of personnel, this has not been an easy one for fans, seeing Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner both jettisoned within 24 hours of each other. Of course, Wilson being dealt to the Denver Broncos in exchange for a couple first-round picks, a couple second-round picks, a fifth-rounder, and three veteran players, and Bobby Wagner with his $20.35 million cap hit being released outright. You can look at those moves, and obviously they were not popular ones. The Wilson one, a lot of fans are still scratching their head wondering what went wrong. A quarterback that's still in his prime, one of the top quarterbacks in the league, why the Seahawks would trade him away. Of course, there's been the history between the player and the team, and this has been something for several years running that has been deteriorating. The relationship between the coaching staff and the player he wants to cook. Pete Carroll still believes in his championship philosophy being running the football, having a balanced offense, and playing great defense. They haven't been able to put that formula together. Wilson's been frustrated that he hasn't had the ball more in his hands, and they haven't had playoff success. So that was understandable. It was stunning that it happened earlier this week, but it's understandable this move had been something that had been speculated for a while, and ultimately the Seahawks decided to pull the trigger. And as for Bobby Wagner, with him being 31 going on 32, going into his 11th season, still a very solid player. He's drawing a lot of interest in the free agent market, but that was an untenable cap hit. And if he wasn't willing to work with the team, who knows what those negotiations looked like. But if he was not willing to work with the team to lower that cap hit, the Seahawks really had no choice. Now, the problem is how they may have handled that situation, though, suddenly has been brought to light. And not exactly a good look for the Seahawks organization. Bobby Wagner coming out on social media today and tweeting, crazy part about this, I played there for 10 years and I didn't even hear it from them that I wasn't coming back. And this is not something that's completely abnormal. I've seen NFL players from other teams make tweets like this after they've been released and it just comes out of the blue. But I'm sure Bobby Wagner knew that this was coming. At the same time, based on that tweet, it doesn't sound like the front office or Coach Pete Carroll reached out to him to inform him that he was going to definitely be released. He did not know that. He found out 
through social media. Adam Schefter of ESPN was the one that reported it on Tuesday night. So apparently that was the first time that Wagner even learned of his situation. Who knows what other details are there? I'm sure that there's more to the story, but this is a trend that is not new. This is not a new phenomenon for the Seahawks because you look back at some of their other legendary players from the last decade, two of them that jump out to me immediately, Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas from the Legion of Boom. Sherman's situation, obviously he was coming off a torn Achilles. His cap hit was north of $11 million. He was closing in on 30 years of age at the end of the 2017 season. The Seahawks just didn't feel comfortable with paying him that kind of money coming off of that significant of an injury, and they decided to cut him. Now, Sherman made a tweet today suggesting that he's been there, done that, compared to Bobby Wagner, that apparently the Seahawks did a similar thing to him, and he was not informed and just was released, found out through other avenues. That is not good business. Then, of course, Earl Thomas, his situation was really difficult, too, because he had a holdout for training camp, for a good chunk of training camp, looking for a new contract in 2018, and the team decided not to do that. They weren't even negotiating with him. He played in four games before breaking his leg and infamously left the field on a cart, giving Pete Carroll the bird across the field. So again, another bad look, and it just feels like this has happened way too much for an organization that prides itself on having a great culture and having a strong relationship between coaches and players. Those are not examples of things that show that that rapport, that that chemistry is actually there. Bobby Wagner as a eight-time All-Pro, a guy that has done so much on the field and off the field in the community during his time in Seattle. If this is truly how this played out, again, there's other details I'm sure that will come out, but if this is how it played out and the Seahawks did not tell him that he was going to be released and he found it out through other avenues, a leak coming from somebody in the building of some sort, the Seahawks as an organization should be ashamed because that's despicable for a player of his caliber. And honestly, you shouldn't have that happen with any players this time of year. And, you know, there's been plenty of people speculating, well, the Seahawks gave him an extra week ahead of free agency. So they gave him a solid in that regard. And I, I agree with that idea, but you don't have to pick one or the other. You can still inform your player, a, a guy that's done so much for your organization that he is going to be hitting the free agent market and you can give him that extra week, especially as his own agent. That's the other thing that kind of makes this messed up is there's not a middleman. So that shouldn't make things, I mean, it should be easier to communicate with Bobby Wagner. Again, these business decisions are always tough. I'm sure John Schneider and Pete Carroll, of all the duties that go with their respective jobs, there can't be anything worse than going to a player that has done so much for your team, was a key component of your Super Bowl teams, your seven playoff teams you've had in the last nine years, Bobby Wagner was a big part of that. And so the thought process that you're going to be moving on from, that can't be easy. That creates a very difficult situation for everybody involved. Nobody wants to go up to a player of that caliber, a future Hall of Famer, and say, we don't want you anymore. We're going to release you or at least at your price point. You're not worth that price anymore to us. That is never easy, but – Every organization's got to be able to do that. And so, again, maybe there will be more details that come out. But since this is not the first time this has happened, it just feels like – and some of these have not been the Seahawks' front office and their coaching staff's fault. There have been players at Camp Chancellor that have had career-ending injuries. 
You've had players like Marshawn Lynch that kind of just forced his way out to go to the Raiders. He retired for a year, and then you traded him, and then eventually he came back. But most of these legendary players did not have that opportunity to come back and play in front of the home fans, the 12s, like Marshawn Lynch did. It just seems like most of these iconic players in the last decade, there's either just been just a very nonchalant moving on, or they've released guys that have had injuries, or they've done things like this with Bobby Wagner, where apparently, uh, much to his dismay, he was not told by the organization that he was going to be released. And these are the type of things. There were tons of players that were quote tweeting and retweeting this in today's social media age. These are the kind of things that matter for pending free agents. So this could be something that impacts Seattle's ability to sign players next week. There may be agents and there may be players that have seen what they just did to one of their legends in Bobby Wagner and say, you know what? I don't know that I want to play there. And it's already going to be tough if you don't have a quarterback that is ready to roll into this season. I mean, right now, I don't know that you can sell Drew Locke and Jacob Eason as your quarterbacks to try to get guys to come to Seattle in free agency. If they trade for Deshaun Watson here in the next couple of days, that would instantly improve their odds of being able to add some quality players and retain their own free agents. But they've already got a difficult situation by getting rid of those guys. And now you may make it even more complicated to try to rebuild this roster or reload if that's what the Seahawks want to do and be competitive this next season in the NFC West. This is just another thing that's going to make it really challenging because if you did something like this with a player like Bobby Wagner, a man like Bobby Wagner, that never looks good. So this is certainly a trend that we've seen over the years, and there's been a lot of other players that have come out and said, this is not the John and Pete that I know. Zach Miller, for example, the tight end said, hey, you know, I had hard feelings for a while, but they – told me I was going to be released and I ended up understanding. So there were players that came out defending them. Maybe this isn't normal behavior, but it has happened a few times. And the timing of this right now, it really was a rotten cherry to put on top of a week that has just been dreadful for fans. And I'm sure it's been dreadful for the organization and a lot of the players that are on the team when you move on from two players like that. So unfortunate circumstances, hopefully the Seahawks can find a way to right this ship at least uh, try to come out and maybe they make a statement about this or maybe more details come out. But it certainly looks like they slighted Bobby Wagner, and that's not something that should be happening to a player of his caliber. Going to be tackling your mailbag questions here in a moment. Looking forward to it. Didn't get to answer questions last week because of all the craziness going on in the offseason. So I'll be answering as many of those as I can. It's that time of year again as college basketball's tournament is finally upon us. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all of your sports betting needs and info. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your favorite sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. They even had they even have odds up right now for who might be the opening day starter for the Seahawks at quarterback. So you want to make sure to check that out. And they don't just have basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sporting wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast on YouTube and all major platforms experts covering every single team. We're heading towards free agency next week, so a lot of great content coming your way as we start to see players moving around the league. 
It's going to be seeing some more trades as well, like Khalil Mack a few days ago going to the Los Angeles Chargers. Expect plenty of player movement. Locked on NFL is going to have it covered both on audio on your major platforms such as Apple and Google, as well as on video on YouTube. All right, let's get to your questions here. Last week was not able to fit in a mailbag segment with us only having four episodes. So I'm going to get back to a more normal schedule here and try to tackle as many of your questions as we can. First one coming from Hawkstrologer tweets, how do you see Malik Willis potentially fitting into a Shane Waldron offense what areas does he shine in and where do you see him struggle? So let, let's start with the areas that I've seen on film that worry me a little bit. For one thing, I mean, this is always something that gets brought up when you're talking about a player that played at a smaller school. And Liberty is now an FBS school, and they played a few SEC schools the last two years. So Malik Willis has been tested a few times and hasn't really gotten any help. He didn't have much of a supporting cast in games like that. They were bowl eligible both seasons, though they played well against their lower level competition in the FBS. There's always going to be the concern about making that big jump going from a smaller non-Power 5 school to the NFL. I see some issues at times with him going through his progressions. It's not something he had to do a lot of at Liberty. He is going to have to quickly get caught up and learn how to do that to be successful in the NFL. And I don't think that he necessarily throws with anticipation a lot of the time. And I don't know if that's something that can be developed much once you get to the NFL. I think that the potential's there. You can see it in spurts where he's able to anticipate things and really to throw receivers open, but it's not something that he was able to do a lot at the college level. As far as strengths go, I think from a traits standpoint, you got to be careful with guys that are just traits players because at the end of the day, there have been plenty of busts in the NFL that were outstanding athletes and had big arms at the quarterback position. But that's what Malik Willis can do. He has a cannon arm. This is a guy that can loft the ball 70 yards downfield easy. So he's got the big arm that the Seahawks would look for and like to have at the quarterback position. He's pretty accurate on those throws. Didn't get much help on the outside, but you put him with a much better supporting cast. That big arm is going to come into play. And I think he's a fairly accurate quarterback. His mobility is going to be his calling card coming into the league, though, as he continues to learn how to read through progressions and to be able to throw better with anticipation. You don't want this kid coming out and throwing 35, 40 times a game, but you can get him moving around and running the football and he could be a real problem for opponents. I think when you look at his complete package, the arm strength, the athletic ability in terms of natural talent, Malik Willis is the number one quarterback and it's not even close in this draft class. The issue is going to be the polish, the lack of competition that he went up against, and, and some of the flaws that he has in terms of processing and reading coverages, trying to get down to his next progression with his receiver tree. Those are all things that are going to be a work in progress. But certainly, this is, this is a kid that's got extremely high upside if he gets the right coaching. And Jane Waldron's offense, maybe that's what's going to end up happening if he comes to Seattle. But this is a kid that has Pro Bowl, maybe even All-Pro caliber talent. This is a big-time talent. He, in a lot of drafts, would probably be viewed higher than he is right now in this particular one. I think all these quarterbacks have been grouped together, and it's not a great class necessarily, but I think that has hurt a few of these guys that have real tools. And if that guy looks like a franchise quarterback with the tools, somebody's got to develop him, though. So there's a lot of boomer bust potential with Malik Willis. Second question from Katie Bournes tweets, any scenario where the Seahawks would go after Tyler Huntley? So 
I didn't mention Huntley in my article that was looking at trade candidates. Really was impressive in a few of the games he replaced Lamar Jackson last year for Baltimore. Threw the football better than I expected. Obviously a very good athlete at Utah. He ran the ball a lot. He ran the ball a lot for Baltimore last year. But I would be a bit skeptical about giving up much more than, say, a third or fourth round pick to get him. And I don't know that Baltimore would give him up because Lamar Jackson's a running quarterback. You want to have a good backup. I don't know that Baltimore would be willing to trade him for just a third or fourth round pick. And I just, I'm not sure about his polish as a passer. And he's been in the league for a couple of years now. Again, he, he exceeded my expectations last year. I just don't know that he is a full-time starter in the NFL. So that is certainly a name they could call about if they don't get somebody like Deshaun Watson or try to inquire about Kirk Cousins or even Matt Ryan. If if they're not looking for veterans like that, they're not able to land somebody like that, a younger quarterback that has shown some flashes of potential like Huntley could make some sense. I just don't know that necessarily he is going to be near the top of the pecking order as far as somebody they're going to be looking at. Michael Harrison tweets, I know Hawk fans won't be thrilled with this possibility, but is there any chance Jacob Eason could factor into the Seahawks starting quarterback plans? I would say no. I don't think that Eason is going to be in the mix. Now, Pete Carroll and training camp, if they don't make any major moves at quarterback, like let's say they bring back Geno Smith and they have Drew Locke and they have Jacob Eason, and those are their three quarterbacks. They don't draft one. I would be stunned if that's what they end up doing. In that situation, they may enter camp and Pete Carroll will be saying, hey, this is a three-way competition. Jacob Eason's part of it. But I just can't see him having a legitimate opportunity to compete for a starting spot. Could he battle for the backup position under certain circumstances? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if they went out and got Deshaun Watson and you had Drew Locke going against Jacob Eason, in a lot of ways there's some similarities there. you got two guys that have a lot of the physical tools but haven't necessarily been able to get put it together with the decision-making process and things like that, turning the football over in limited action. Eason's got a lot of intriguing tools, but I just don't know that I ever see a starting quarterback in the NFL. Chris tweets, should we cut Jason Myers? If so, is there anyone we could draft? So I, I'm going to be honest, Chris, I've done a ton of draft studying so far at pretty much every position, but kickers and punters I don't anticipate that Seahawks are going to be trying to bring in a punter and even though Jason Myers has a fairly significant cap hit as a kicker and didn't have a great year last season I don't know that you're going to be able to get something that's better out there on the market and kickers are so volatile from year to year two years ago Jason Myers was arguably the best kicker in the NFL I thought he got slighted as an all-pro selection so if you can have him get back to his 2020 form rather than how he kicked last year, and it's certainly possible he could do that, then you would be well set at kicker. I just don't know that there's going to be a better option. Maybe you could even consider extending him for a year or two to try to lower his cap hit a little bit if you want. There's some options that they have there. I don't see them making a move, though, cutting him, and I'd be surprised if they draft somebody. I haven't looked at the kickers, though, so maybe there's somebody the Seahawks are intrigued by. I just think Pete Carroll's shown enough confidence in Myers, and he has had a really good season for them. Played well at times last year. I'm just not anticipating that that's going to be a position where they're going to be prioritizing, trying to go out and see if they can find an upgrade and moving on from Myers. Christopher tweets, thoughts on the Seahawks trading for Jordan Love? So I'm actually going to put this even further down the totem pole than Tyler Huntley. From what I have been gathering, talking to people around the league, that have some insight in the Packers situation. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers, his status was in the air until earlier this week when he 
agreed to terms on a massive extension to stay with the Packers. So now Jordan Love now is going to be going to year three, and he's certainly not going to be starting for the Green Bay Packers. So there's been a lot of speculation about moving him, but the people I've talked to are suggesting the Packers were – they knew there was no way they could move on from Aaron Rodgers. They had to find a way to make that work money-wise because Love just hasn't shown enough on the practice field. The one start he got last year really struggled. I don't know that that's fair. He hasn't gotten a lot of reps, but I don't see him being somebody that's going to draw a lot of interest on the trade market from teams. And Green Bay used a first-rounder on him, so I don't think they want to give him up for peanuts, but that's probably what teams would be willing to give. Now, if you can get him for a mid-round pick and the Seahawks are intrigued by him, then maybe they consider doing that. But I would actually go with Tyler Huntley, who was definitely not a first-round pick. Huntley would be a guy that I've seen more in actual game action. Would make sense if you're going to be looking at some trade options for lesser-known quarterbacks around the league. Benevolent Boomer tweets, are the Seahawks being coached by an out-of-touch Boomer? Okay, seriously, is Pete Carroll just too old to compromise and adapt to the current game? I understand why fans keep going back to this argument, this concern that Pete Carroll isn't willing to change. But, I mean, you listen to the comments he's made about what he wants his defense to do this season and the willingness to bring in coaches from outside like Sean Desai and Carl Scott. I've talked about this a lot on the podcast. I, I think there is a genuine excitement right now for what this defense is going to look like with the coaches that they brought in and just running a more aggressive scheme with some different types of coverages and not doing the same stuff they've been doing. As Carol said, they've been arrogant. I think he has gotten the message that he's got to do a better job adapting and being willing to change things up. You're at least seeing that on the defensive side of the ball. And I know a lot of fans are upset about the let Russ cook stuff, not working out and, and Wilson expressing disdain towards the coaching staff for not having the ball in his hands more but look how they played the last six games last year when the running game was humming I don't necessarily disagree with Pete Carroll's rationale that this team's offense is better when they are able to run the football effectively and they've got a balanced offense now I'm not saying you're running the ball 60 percent of the time and when you get a quarterback like Russell Wilson he should be slinging the ball around but having a priority for the run game should not be viewed as a problem. Really good football teams can do both. And that's been an issue at times for the Seahawks in part because of the injuries they've had. So yes, they've got to be willing to go more with the modern game with the passing game, the short, uh, quick game, play action, stuff like that. But at the same time, this offense was better last year when they had that run game rolling. And I think that's what Pete Carroll wants to see for a full season. Can we keep some backs healthy? Can our line play well from the outset and have a good run game to go with whoever's playing quarterback? So there are certainly some things you'd like to see adjustments from, but I think fans should be encouraged by the things they've heard from Pete Carroll, particularly on the defensive side of the football. Last question here coming from Gail tweets. Why doesn't Jody Allen get involved with these terrible decisions? So, I don't know what goes on in the meetings between Jody Allen, Pete Carroll, and John Schneider. Uh, Carroll hasn't given any specifics on that, and he's not going to. But I don't know that you know these arguments that Jody Allen just kind of letting them do whatever they want really hold water. Uh, I think that Jody Allen's probably had some discussions with them that have been pretty candid, and who knows what it's been like in terms of their discussions on Russell Wilson. That stuff behind closed doors, we don't know, but. We can assume that Jody Allen okayed that, that she was fine with that trade, and there were things going on, as I mentioned, that 
kind of made it look like it might be the only move they had at this point if they're being smart, getting maximum compensation back. So, yeah, maybe Pete Carroll's got a bit too much power. That's been an argument that's been said by a lot of people in the media. But I don't know that necessarily that's what's going on and that she's not involved in that process. You know, they, I'm sure they talked about Bobby Wagner and the cap hit too. I mean, this is a team that had to make big changes and fans don't like these moves. They're not popular, but, you know, chemistry matters. And, you know, you got to have the right salary cap flexibility to improve your team when you win seven games. So I don't know that it's necessarily the right time to say, that Jody Allen's been involved with these terrible decisions or she's letting Pete Carroll and John Schneider do whatever they want. And those terrible decisions, she's not having any say on those. I think that it's a bit misleading to say that given what we know, the meetings they had this off season, but we'll see if these moves all end up blowing up in Seattle's faces. And then Jody Allen's up firing a coaching staff. It might just be a repercussion of, Oh, I wasn't involved enough or I didn't voice my, my opinions on the state of the team enough last year. So I think it's just a bit early to be jumping to conclusions. First off, that you are terrible decisions and that Jody Allen was not involved in making those decisions. All right. We're going to get to our final segment of our division by division free agent primer is going to be looking at the AFC North. I've covered all the other divisions up to this point. So going to be looking at the Browns, Bengals, Steelers, and of course the Ravens. One free agent from each of those teams that I think is going to pique Seattle's interest. I'll be hitting on that here in a moment. This is the time of year that I've pretty much given up on my New Year's resolutions. In fact, this week has really been a struggle with my best friend in town, but the one thing that's allowed me to keep it together has been Built Bar. And if you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs, you're missing out. They're the best tasting Built Bars out there. Puffs are the first ever protein infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy. It's really a marshmallow on steroids. And they're not just a protein bar, they're a treat. So many delicious flavors cinnamon churro, coconut marshmallow, banana cream pie, my personal favorite. There's a ton of good flavors. Absolutely delicious, covered in 100% chocolate, low calorie, high protein. Replace your candy bars with these. They're much better and much healthier. Four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Regular built bars are also delicious. Tons of great flavors like peanut butter brownie, as well as cookies and cream. They've got new flavors coming out all the time. Go to built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. That's LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks for listening in and making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Time to wrap up our free agent division-by-division division primers up to this point. Typically, Nick Lee joins me for our Friday shows. We have covered every other division up to this point. It's time for our final one, the AFC North. Cincinnati Bengals, Pittsburgh Steelers, Baltimore Ravens, and Cleveland Browns, a division that had a couple of playoff teams a year ago. This is going to be a fun division to watch moving forward, too, because a lot of really good young quarterbacks in this division Looking at the teams here and which free agents might pique Seattle's interest, I want to start with a familiar name here with the Cleveland Browns. And there's a few guys that I could include in this. If Jarvis Landry ends up getting released, as everybody's suspecting, Seattle has been reportedly in the market for a third receiver. It could make sense to look at Jarvis Landry. He could be available at a fairly affordable rate, really solid slot receiver that would contrast the skill sets 
of DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. But I'm going to look at the defensive line at a player that a lot of people were surprised the Seahawks didn't bring back after a one-year rental. Jadevian Clowney, the last two years, he's played for the Titans and the Browns. His one season in Tennessee did not go well. No sacks and ended up having a season-ending injury, missed more than half of the season. But he was really good for the Cleveland Browns last year. Certainly helps having Miles Garrett and some of the other guys they have in their defensive line to take some pressure off him. But nine sacks last year, which is one of the better seasons that Clowney has had in the sack department. And we know he's an extremely disruptive run defender. I think he's got some positional versatility that you can run him in a 3-4 or 4-3 defense. You can do some things with him standing up, sugaring over the A gap or standing up in two-point off the edge. He could maybe even play some linebacker for you. He did that some with the Houston Texans early in his career. So I wouldn't rule out the possibility that Seattle could try to bring him back after missing him for the past two seasons. I think schematically it would be a good fit. He's never going to be an elite pass rusher, but he showed last year that he can get quite a few sacks. He has the motor to do it, can win with powers, got some good speed rushing moves as well. So I think this is a guy that would make a lot of sense to at least reach out to the agent and say, hey, you enjoyed your one season here. We weren't able to work it out a couple of years ago. Let's see if we can come to terms on a one- or two-year deal because they certainly need any help they can get on the defensive line. And I thought Clowney was a good fit. He was banged up late in his lone season with the team that impacted his production. But, I mean, he had a couple games where he was absolutely dominant. This is the kind of player that would make sense to bring in that I don't necessarily think you have to break the bank on at this point in his career. He's been going one-year deals, and I think with his injury history, that's the way it's going to be for him the rest of his career, barring just an absolute breakout season. Even then, I think teams would be hesitant to give him long-term deals as he enters his 30s. Now, shifting to the Cincinnati Bengals, I want to stay on the defensive line. There are a few other players on offense that might have some intrigue, maybe that are available. But there are a couple of defensive tackles on this Bengals roster that were key components of their Super Bowl run a year ago that might be available. So I'm going to roll with Larry Obenjobi, who got injured in the playoffs this past January. So he didn't play in the Super Bowl or the AFC title game. But this guy has had at least five and a half sacks in three of the past four years. His run defense, at least according to Pro Football Focus, has been very up and down. Last year, got a pretty poor grade. Year before that, had a really solid grade. He has been inconsistent as a run defender. So that might be something that scares the Seahawks away. They don't want interior defenders that are struggling against the run. That has always been a major priority for Pete Carroll and his defense. He wants big guys that are stout in the trenches and can hold up at the point of attack against single and double teams. But this is a guy that's got great athleticism, good burst at 305 pounds, and obviously has a track record as a pass rusher. They need pass rushing help anywhere they can find it. That includes the interior. You might lose Al Woods. Joby is not the same type of player, but he is going to bring some different skill sets to this defense. That pass rushing ability is going to be a big reason why I think that he's going to generate some interest on the market. Maybe not one of the top DTs out there, but Seattle should at least take a look, see what it's going to cost to sign him, because you team him up with Puna Ford, that could be a very disruptive interior defensive line. Going to the Pittsburgh Steelers, I've talked two defensive linemen up to this point. I thought about another one with Pittsburgh, but I'm actually going to go out to wide receiver, and it's not Juju Smith-Schuster. I've seen a lot of talk about him as a possibility. He's only 25 years old. And playing with a better quarterback, depending what Seattle does at the position, maybe it would make sense to bring him in as your third guy. But 
I think a player like Ray Ray McLeod would make the most sense. He had almost 40 receptions a year ago and only averaged seven yards per catch. Not a guy that was generating big plays downfield. There were a lot of plays where he was catching swing passes and screens. So not necessarily a dynamic downfield threat. And he's not going to be any better than like your fourth receiver. But he's an outstanding kick and punt returner. And I think the Seahawks need to invest in somebody back there. Now, maybe D. Eskridge gets those duties next year if he's healthy. They just weren't able to get him up to speed enough to be able to use him on offense and special teams last year. But if you're wanting him to focus mainly on offense, I think that Ray Ray McLeod would make a lot of sense. He's only 25 years old. He's an explosive athlete. He's had a 58-yard run before as well. So he might be a guy that you can mix some jet sweeps in on offense to use his speed and his quickness. So not a big name, maybe not somebody that a lot of fans have heard of, but he's one of the better kick and punt returners in the league today. And he's got some receiving skills. So he could be a guy that could pitch in occasionally on offense. I think he'd be a guy that would make a lot of sense, mostly because of the special teams aspect. And if there's really been one weakness for Seattle on special teams, they haven't had that dynamo back there since they phased Tyler Lockett out that really can strike fear in the defense if you kick to him. McLeod's a guy that could do that playing in Seattle. And last but not least, the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore's got some pretty good free agents hitting the market. They got a lot of players north of 30. Maybe not necessarily the ones they're going to be drawing a ton of attention from other teams for that reason. But I am going to list a significantly older player here that isn't in his prime anymore, is not the pass rusher that he used to be. Calais Campbell had just one and a half sacks last year. He's going to be 36 years old. His game now, he truly has developed into mostly a run-stuffing veteran defensive tackle. And he's always been great against the run. The Seahawks know from all the years playing against him in Arizona. They got to see him playing in Jacksonville for a year, and he just absolutely dominated in the trenches. He's still a guy that can generate interior pressure, and he can get some quarterback hits. The sack numbers have just declined tremendously the last couple of years, and I wouldn't expect that he's going to bounce back in that department too much. Maybe he's able to get you three or four sacks, and that would be quality production of a defensive tackle. But I just think the leadership that he brings to the table, still an outstanding run defender, had an 80-plus grade as a run defender last year for Pro Football Focus. He had double-digit quarterback hits, so he can still generate pressure, just not going to be getting quite as many sacks as he did at earlier points in his career. He's well-respected across the league, was a Walter Payton Man of the Year winner a few years back, right before Russell Wilson got his in 2020. Actually, the guy that awarded him that. So he's just a great presence in the locker room. And without Bobby Wagner, you want to find some guys that can fill that leadership void. Calais Campbell in the short term can do that. And what an asset for some of your other defensive tackles. You can't tell me Puna Ford and Brian Monet would not be eating up everything they could get from Calais Campbell, a guy that has seen everything in the league and has been one of the best defensive tackles for more than a decade. Outstanding player. So I actually, this entire list, even though he is the oldest player, it doesn't have a lot of football left in him. I think Calais Campbell will be a fun addition on a one-year deal to really bolster that defensive line. And he'll provide some pass rush for you too. Maybe not the sacks, but he can still provide some pressure while being a stout run defender. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Make sure to check out the Locked On NFL Draft podcast as well. Eric Tracy and former NFL quarterback Eric Crocker bringing you all the latest NFL draft news, insight, and analysis 
on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, five days a week streaming on YouTube. Coming up on our Monday episode, I'll be rejoined by my co-host Rob Rang. The two of us will be combing through all the latest mock drafts that are out there on the internet. And we got a very special guest that's going to be joining us for the third quarter. You won't want to miss. It's going to be one heck of a show coming up on Monday. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.